We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Today I'm speaking with Aaron McGarrion, a longtime high stakes player who currently sits in 13th place in the 2019 FFPC main event, a competition that will award more than $3.1 million in prizes, including an industry record $500,000 grand prize. His career high-stakes winnings total well over $40,000. In this episode, we discuss the importance of knowing who the teams in the standings ahead of you own in the championship round, waiting on a quarterback, but not running backs, in drafts, and much more. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it supports the podcast channel. Now, without further ado, here is $40,000 high stakes fantasy football winner and the man you can follow on Twitter at HankAram1313 on Twitter, Aaron McGarrion. It is championship week here at the FFPC and the uh, Football Guys Players Championship, and we are pleased to have the 13th place team overall in the FFPC main event joining us here on the Road of His High Stakes Lowdown this week. It is Aram Begirian. Thank you so much, Aram, for uh, popping on the show this week, dude. Thank you, Eric. Good to be here. 
I know you this you've done this song and dance before where you've been in the championship round with with a lot of money at stake. Um, but, uh, you know, going into the final week here, um, I don't know what you think your chances are uh, being in 13th place overall for a half million bucks. You, you got to like where you're at, I would imagine. Right. It's better than the other alternatives, which is uh, not to have any shot at all. But uh, looks like uh, best case scenario is it's going to be four on four for with a minus 24 points with uh, the guy who's in second place right now. All right. So so you're playing for something. You'll be glued. So how are you going to spend this final week? I should ask you that right away. Are you going to be glued to the TV on Saturday and Sunday? Or are you going to be spending time with friends and family and just checking scores periodically? How do you handle this? I, I, I don't know. Uh, definitely going to be up in Philadelphia watching the Villanova-Kansas game first and then uh, and then the Eagles-Cowboys game on Sunday. And then uh, how I'm going to work this into the mix, uh, I'm not quite sure yet. I might just skip the Cowboys-Eagles game. Yeah, there you go. Well, it, to each his own. And, and I certainly... Uh, uh, you know, um, uh, wish you well, no matter, uh, no matter what happens, uh, it should be an enjoyable weekend for you. Uh, let's get into your, your, your main event draft that you had, um, uh, here with this 13th place overall team. You had the one Oh two pick, you get Christian McCaffrey there, uh, which has obviously been huge. You get George Kittle at the two eleven again, another player that's been huge. I want to specifically talk about your next three picks. Damian Williams, Mark Ingram, and Derrick Henry. So after five rounds in this draft, Aaron, you had four running backs. I want you to sort of take me through the thought process there on not necessarily deciding to go running back heavy early, but that's the way it ended up. What were you thinking um, after uh, round two there that you ended up with all these running backs? Yeah, I mean, Eric, it's a big change for me and uh, the folks I do this with a lot. Uh, we're, we're zero running back uh, uh, drafters typically. But when you looked at the flows of the draft and who's available in which segment, and we, you try to break it down, rounds one through four, five through eight, and then eight through two, uh, nine through twelve. When you look at those segments, the running backs after round four and or five were worthless to us, just absolutely just worthless, and didn't want them on our roster. Did not think that they had any chance of scoring twenty-five to thirty points uh, at the end of the at the end of the uh, the season and so without those kinds of players uh, we we just felt that there was a lot more wide receivers and or tight ends that might be available with one caveat Ertz, Kels and Kittle are different but we did not like those mid-round uh, we did not like those mid-round uh, tight ends we like the 9 through 12 tight ends like the Mark Andrews of the world the Trey Burtons the Dallas Goddards and, and the, then the top three so that, that left us very little uh, wiggle room. So we went really running back heavy and, and on a lot of our drafts in the first four or five rounds, even if it was running backs that we typically don't like. All right, so a couple of things I want to follow up on here. First of all, with the with, uh, running backs, you said that, that you guys are normally um, zero RB, which is cool. I, I, I've, I've been doing that quite a bit lately, and, and I actually have been enjoying, by and large, the results. I'm curious as to your thought process, well, not necessarily thought process, but sort of your talent evaluation, the, the fact that you went running back early because you did not like the running backs um, say after round five on, uh, how has why was it different this year that you were not confident in the running backs after round five, where you were confident in them in in years past? What what was the change this year, 
And um, what is this sort of going to be a, a philosophical change in your draft strategy, given the way the NFL has been going the last couple of years? Yeah, I, I think when you pay attention to the drafts from years past, um, what, like nine years ago, you know, we, we drafted you know, nine, 10 years. We, we drafted Jamal Charles, Ray Rice and, and these guys in the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th round when they were rookies. That doesn't happen anymore in the last few years. Look at Josh Jacobs. Uh, look at D- David Montgomery. Look at uh, all of these younger, unproven commodities that are getting drafted in the first, you know, two, three rounds. E- even Miles Sanders, who I, I'm a big Eagles fan, but even Miles Sanders was going in round five, six, and when when he was in a timeshare at best it, it, with the Eagles uh, running four running backs in, maybe worse than the Patriots. So you have these younger running backs that used to be available in round six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, that are no longer there. And, and so when you know you're taking you know the Alexander Madisons and hoping uh, Dalvin Cook blows out his knee in the second week of the season to have any real quality running back uh, later on in the draft. And as you go back, you know there's really nobody back there that uh, that that really panned out save for Devin Singletary, and he hasn't really been all that great um, because he doesn't catch enough passes, and, and or maybe uh, Kenyon Drake, obviously, but he got traded and, and didn't really like him in Miami back then. So, so okay, so Aaron, then this is good because it sounds like the, the, you've noticed the fundamental change in high-stakes drafts over the last decade. Is zero RB now antiquated because so many sharps and, and so many high stakes players are in on these young up and coming rookie running backs early, or is there a bounce back? Is zero RB going to be the way to go next year? How do you see this going forward? Yeah, I I think what the the one cool thing about doing the main event drafts uh, over the three fifties is you get to follow along on a lot of the three fifties. You get them posted and you get to see where these guys are going and, and you really get to study the way that the drafts form. And that gives you a lot more insight because what happens in the three fifties isn't perfect because it, 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 people take a little bit more risk in the three fifty teams to, to go uh, for the, the bigger pie at the end. You, so you see a little bit of running back creep up a little bit higher, but I, I, I think you just got to pay attention before you start the main event drafts to what was going on in the 350s to see what the trends were. And if if you're looking at round six through 10 and literally not seeing a single person that could possibly score you 25, 30 points in, in weeks 15, you know, 14, 15, 16, then you, you got to do something about it. And what, whether that's just, you know, only have one running back up top and cover it or whatever whatever strategy fits you. Here, uh, this year, there was a lot of good running backs that caught a lot of passes that were going to be on the field a lot, even if they were in kind of like a weird timeshare, but still had the capability of putting up 25, 30 points because of their pass-catching ability, and putting them on your roster early was going to be a big deal. Aram, you said as far as the tight ends go, Kelsey, Kittle, and Ertz were different for you guys um, than, than, than the rest of the tight end field. You, you talked about some of these mid-range guys uh, like Pro Bowler Mark Andrews as a guy that you guys were targeting. Next year, and I know it's early and things can happen, next year, um, do you still view those top three tight ends um, as first-tier tight ends? And are there any other tight ends that you see joining them up there, be it Andrews or, or Waller or anybody else like that? Well, 
I, I don't think I, I think the top three have continued to set themselves uh, apart from the rest. Although the spread in the tight ends wasn't as big as I thought it would be, meaning the spread between you know the third place tight end and the sixth place tight end, I I, I thought there would be a bigger uh, gap there. Um, obviously, the Wallers of the world and the Mark Andrews of the world had much better years than than even I anticipated. And and frankly, I, if you had, if you someone did ask me about three or four weeks ago who's the number one tight end, I I got I took four guesses and got it wrong. I did not realize Travis Kelce was having that strong a year um, because you just didn't see big numbers coming coming from him. He was just so strong and steady throughout. Um, but the guys that you see with the Austin Hoopers of the world, uh, even though he got hurt. I, I do think that in the offense that he's in, especially if Dirk Cutter stays in Atlanta, and the the op, uh, although you know you never know what happens, but if that that staff stays similarly constituted, then Austin Hooper might be the one guy that that pops up, and and Hunter Henry has looked real good as well. But again, there's Philip Rivers is probably not going to be there, so it'll be interesting to see how that how that goes. Yeah, there there could be a lot of change over at that Chargers offense too. I mean, you talk about. Rivers and then um, you know Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler could be on different teams here too, and, and maybe they get a rookie running back in there. Who knows? A lot can happen uh, in the uh, NFL offseason. We're not even we're still not even there yet. It's it's we're yeah. we're recording this uh, December eighteenth, twenty nineteen. A lot can happen yet. Um, I got to tell you, the best team I had this year of all my fantasy teams was the one I had. It was a it was a um, a best ball. And my top two quarterbacks are Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson. That is exactly the quarterback tandem that you have in this main event team. Uh, that's 13th place overall. You get those guys in the 10th and 11th round. That was obviously huge. When you look forward to drafts next year, do you plan on a similar strategy in trying for these upside, high floor, or excuse me, high ceiling type quarterbacks halfway through the draft? Yeah. Uh... Again, something extremely different for uh, what I normally do. Um, in, in this particular situation, I thought that uh, Kyler Murray in a high-paced offense was going to be really good. But um, so I took him first. Uh, and then, but with his, with the rookie season, rookie coach, terrible team, I was somewhat worried about his productivity. And when I looked, when I finished, when I was, when I took the first eight rounds of this draft, my pick on number nine is the one thing I regret, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I thought this team was really good. And so I wanted to have the upside quarterback, and that's why I took Kyler Murray. And luckily, Lamar Jackson didn't go in the next two picks because I then wanted to back that up with a, with a good quarterback. And I probably would have ended up with Drew Brees if Lamar Jackson had gone. Um, but thankfully Lamar Jackson was there and I, I don't think I've played Kyler Murray except the week that Lamar Jackson had off the, this entire season. Let me ask you this about, uh, regarding quarterbacks. This is something I brought up with some high stakes players over the last month, month and a half of the season or so in 2018, a guy who was drafted in the mid rounds went on to, uh, be the NFL MVP was Patrick Mahomes in 2019, a guy who was drafted in the mid rounds was Lamar Jackson. He's well on his way to winning the NFL MVP. Uh, I don't want to put that on Kyler Murray. I don't want to put that pressure on him right now. And I feel like he might actually be drafted um, uh, higher than these guys were in, in the past two years. But as you look to 2020 and Kyler Murray, 
Could he be the potential league-winning quarterback that, that fantasy owners crave, or is he going to be drafted at a point where he just he simply can't be a league winner because he's going to be picked too high? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think his season has been so wishy-washy that uh, I, I think he probably continues to go right where he's at, um, where he went last year, somewhere in between rounds 9 and 12, depending on how much somebody really likes him. But uh, I, I, obviously, Lamar Jackson is going to go so much higher. Um, probably going to be the first quarterback off the board uh, in the you know kind of where Patrick Mahomes was going from time to time, third, fourth round. Sometimes maybe maybe someone even gets crazy and goes a little bit higher. So I would put Lamar Jackson in that category before Kyler Murray. Yeah, and I'm totally with you on that. I think it's going to be real interesting. We'll probably at the FFPC we'll probably start having best balls again going on in, in mid-January to late January, and it'll be very interesting to see where people are selecting Lamar Jackson there because that's sort of going to set the ADP going forward until we get the Classic Leagues going in May, and then obviously his ADP will change in that format as well. But I am very interested to see where people are going to be taking Lamar Jackson. Speaking the guy, the guy for tight, uh, I'm sorry, for quarterback for next year that I think kind of moves up just a couple rounds, but uh, we're definitely going to be targeting him quite a bit as Josh Allen. I was just going to say that, literally just going to say that, because I didn't know where you're going with that, but my next question was going to be, what about Josh Allen next year? Because he was a guy I targeted late as a backup, and I ended up starting him. I think like I probably had like five or six teams this year where I had my quarterback tandem was Brady and um, Josh Allen, and for the first part of the season, I was going with Brady until I realized, oh my goodness, Josh Allen's outplaying him. And then I went with Josh Allen down the stretch in, in a lot of my leagues, and it really paid off. But that guy, he's doing it with his legs. He looks good um, as far as throwing the ball. And, and look at his weapons, John Brown and, and um, you know Cole Beasley, for goodness sake, and, and, and Dawson Knox, and, and you get Devin Singletary back there as well. But you, know, you add one more weapon, maybe two weapons to that Buffalo offense. I think Josh Allen could be an every week start at quarterback next year. So I am completely with you on that. And I, and I feel like he should have been drafted higher than he was this year, Aaron. For sure. Yeah, no, he is. Uh, but see, you get those value all at quarterback, which is why waiting on quarterback uh, as long as you possibly can typically works out for the best. Um, as you like the Dak Prescott in a contract year, uh, that, that's another thing that we, you know, we, tend to look for is is this person coming into a contract year what are they playing for Jameis Winston next year is someone who has you know well as a football player has probably been horrible as a fantasy player he's been downright awesome and you know he'll probably be franchised by the by the Bucks and I think he's a guy that you're going to want to that you're going to want to have a guy that I typically hate and had a great start to the season but then returned back to well, the norm that that uh, that he always does because Russell Wilson simply doesn't throw enough passes to go as high as he does in any any FFPC draft. But people still draft him in the 11th, 12th round. I, I just don't understand why uh, he goes before Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, or anybody else. I mean, it was ridiculous what he did the first six weeks of the season. But that that was just that was just uh, a statistical anomaly. Let, let's keep it on the quarterback discussion here a little bit. This is going back probably about three weeks or so when, when waivers are still open in the FFPC. You had Kyler Murray. You obviously had Lamar Jackson. You decide to pick up Robert Griffin as well, Lamar Jackson's backup. I want to uh, kind of get inside your mind on that waiver pick. Why did you decide to lock up, so to speak, the Ravens quarterback situation, getting Griffin on your roster? Now, what as you look at the 
the, the landscape of your roster going into the final three weeks of the year, what, what I do is, okay, what's, what if um, in 13th place, 24 points behind going into the, this week 16, what does that look like? Well, I'm going to start Lamar Jackson against Cleveland. That looks awesome. Okay, what if something happens and he gets hurt in the fourth quarter of the game after scoring 40 points? And I, in week 16, I'm just going to go ahead and start Kyler Murray at Seattle. Uh, wait a minute. That might not be such a great start. I don't know. It might be a good one. Uh, do I really want that to be my only option? Or do I want to be without a quarterback in this situation? And the, the short answer to that was no, I didn't want to take that risk. I didn't really have a need for another roster spot um, as I had a, a couple of crispy critters that could get cut there. So I added Robert Griffin uh, with the hope that uh, with almost uh, a backup situation just in case something went wrong in week 16, specifically because Kyler Murray didn't have a great matchup necessarily. Let's um, I, I want to talk specifically about week 16. Now you, you kind of already handicapped yourself and your chances, but I do want to uh, analyze your lineup a, a little bit. Um, Christian Kirk, Terry McLaurin two yeah. kind of breakout receivers it, for sure. McLaurin and I guess Kirk. So two breakout receivers in 2019 currently, or at the, the last time I looked, I, I noticed that you had them on your bench. Are you going to be able to find a way to get either of those guys in your lineup? Or do you think, given the talent that you have already uh, starting for you, these guys are better off uh, riding the pine for Week 16? So, Balky, the last 24 hours I just spent looking through all 12 teams that were in front of me. And what I did was I put in what I thought was my best starting lineup, which included McLaren, uh, but did not include Kirk. Um, so when I did that, I then went through and tried to figure out how many of the teams in front of me had the similar players. And so now I'm trying to beat people uh, and, and assuming I'm going to have a nice week, I, I don't want to finish in second place. I, I, I just, I, I could, you know, I could care less about second place. Uh, $50,000 is, is wonderful and everything, but $500,000 is, is all, all I'm looking for. So in doing that, you have to take some contrarian points, understanding that to pass 12 people, you, you, you have to do something different. Terry McLaurin is owned by four of the 12 owners in front of me. Is he really that much better than Metcalf even, or, or for example, which is owned by none of the people in front of me? It, it's probably slightly better, but when I can eliminate four guys, uh, uh, who I'm hoping start McLaren and he produces nothing for him, that'll be that'll be great. And is there a bigger chance that Metcalf gets nothing? Absolutely. But finishing in 30th and and or third isn't going to bother me none. I, I either want first or nothing. Yeah, no, and I'm with you on that. I think that's that's a slam dunk decision when you compare Metcalf and McLaren. It's like, well, you know, I it's tough to handicap. Well, what what are these guys going to put up? But when you compare. Metcalf having no ownership to the teams in front of you versus McLaurin, who's owned by a third of them. I th I think it's I mean it, it it just behooves you like this. It's staring you in the face. The decision is is like okay, well I could take out four guys here uh, and 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 go with the the guy who nobody owns and maybe get get me all the way to first. I think that and that's where it comes in. I I want and I'm gonna, I'm going to skip a, a little bit ahead here because when it comes to setting lineups in the championship round you obviously just brought up an interesting strategy in that especially when you only have one week to go 
are you it sounds like you do spend extra time you are analyzing this more um you're not afraid to bench who you think might be the better start in favor of a guy who who is is under owned or not owned by the people in front of you to tr- increase variance to try to get up to the top is, is is there any other aspects of championship lineup round uh, championship round lineup setting that that other high stakes players should be aware about the 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 quote unquote right way to do it this time of year yeah the look the the getting the roster skate correct is is very important and i made a mistake this year for example I only have the Eagles defense to play. And that was that, that's just because I got busy and I forgot to pick up a defense on the last waiver wire and, and drop one of my wideouts that I, I knew I was never going to use. And so you want to make sure you have multiple defenses that have decent matchups. Um, and so I, uh, that's one thing. You want to make sure you have two kickers. I, I haven't worked that out so hot because Brett Maher got cut after – uh, everything went down uh, with waiver wires, but and then you want to look at your quarterback situation and, and make sure you have that going on, and then you want to look for some contrarian views that might be available to you. One of the reasons why I liked Kyler Murray and when I drafted, I had Christian Kirk and Keyshawn Johnson, who I drafted in the 15th round, was for the potential. And I and bulky, I thought about it. I thought about benching Lamar Jackson this week. And starting Kyler Murray and Christian Kirk and hope that Lamar Jackson just either doesn't play because New England wins uh, on, or loses on Saturday to Buffalo and Buffalo and Baltimore says, you know what, it's time to rest Lamar Jackson. I'm praying for that to happen because then I'll play. Uh, I'll be very happy to pay Kyler Murray if I had to and, and or Robert Griffin and, and see what happens with that and take my chances eliminating hopefully five of the guys in front of me who don't have as good a backup as I do. But yeah. those ahead. are the things that we look for. And, and you know, I, I did the Kyler Murray, Christian Kirk, Keyshawn Johnson praying that I could do this in week 16. Now, obviously, that hasn't panned out. But, man, it, it would be good if those guys uh, really produced the way that I thought that they might. I know um, uh, Mike Pareka, who who has been uh, a guest on, on the HSFF Hour before, and he actually was in second place in the Football Guys Players Championship heading into Week 16 last year. He ultimately came up short. This year, he is leading the main event right now, and I was exchanging a, female, uh, a, females, a few emails with him. We're in exchanging females. Um, I was exchanging a few emails with him regarding um, – week 16 and he said he wished that he had some shares of Lamar or he wished he had that team that that's in first place he wished he had Lamar Jackson or Aaron Jones on and he's very nervous about both those guys going off in week 16 and costing him the title and I know how how bitter it was for him last year to come so close and then ultimately falter in 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 week 16 so I'm I'm sure like well I and I should ask you that how does that change if you're leading the whole thing going into week 16 and, and going into into um, the final week of play? Are you just simply playing your best guys or are you looking at the guys behind you as well? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, when we were, when we were leading it all, I think you just play it all. You just play it the way that you, the way that you're supposed to and score the points that you're supposed to score and, and you win, you win, you lose, you lose. And, but when you're looking ahead of you, like, and, and thank goodness we did because there, there were, the gentlemen in, or the people in second place are uh, their team. They're, they're brilliant because their team looks very similar to mine. Uh, Lamar Jackson, <laughs> yeah. 
Christian McCaffrey, Mark Ingram, McLaren, Kittle. And so, and, and they have Kyler Murray and Christian Kirk on their bench as well, by the way, which is really, you know, kind of weird. Right. But as, as I'm looking at that, and he's got 24 points on me, when I look at that guy, I really have, I have no choice but to bench McLaren uh, and, and really Kirk as well, because he might just put Kirk into the lineup. And I just, I already have four guys that are going to be exactly the same. And, and I got to I gotta increase my ability to get over him because even if I put up 220, he's going to put up real close to 220 or, or, or something similar to that. And then I finish in second place with 10 times less money than he does. I remember this was, um, gosh, how many years ago was this now? Twelve. It was 12 or 13 years ago. It was well before the FFPC uh, even started. And Dave Gerzak and I, uh, and, and I should say Kurt Awe too, we all owned – a team in another contest uh, for a, uh, a six-figure grand prize. And uh, Jules McLean, uh, who uh, noted high-stakes player, was in, I believe she was in second place behind us. We were leading the whole thing going into week 16. And we both had um, Dwayne Bow, um, uh, the receiver from, from Kansas City. And this yeah. is back when Dwayne Bow was good, obviously. So we had him going, and I remember I was refreshing um, her lineup. You could see the lineup that she had submitted. And I was refreshing her lineup. And then about five minutes before 1 Eastern on Sunday, I, I texted Dave and I said, hey, Jules just benched um, Bo for, um, uh, I can't remember, it was some other receiver, you know, uh, just a, a cra- like it, like going crazy town banana pants, trying to increase variance. And I was like, well, this, this is great. You know, like now all of a sudden we got a chance. And then I, I remember I was at my my girlfriend, my wife now, uh, I was at her house and I I said, okay, well, I guess we're going to go with this lineup. And then I was traveling back to my apartment from her house, which is probably a 10-minute drive. And by the time I had gotten back there, Philip Rivers is our quarterback and Rivers had already thrown two touchdowns in that 10-minute span. And I'll, and I'll never forget this text too. Uh, when I was t- telling you, I said, what do you think our chances? And he wrote back, I don't see a way we can lose now. And I was like, okay, now it's real. You know, now this is, this is, this is something that, 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 uh, that, that could actually come to fruition, but it's, it's all gamesmanship when you come back down to it. And I'm sure stuff like that is going to happen in the main event. I'm sure people are going to be looking at that when it comes down to it. Um, when, when, um, you're, you're, you're playing, it's sort of like poker, you know, you're playing the players as much as the, the players ahead of you, you know, and I think you're right when, when, when you're in a position like you guys were to, to lead the whole thing, you play the, the, the players you believe are going to put up the best total and, and let the chips fall where they may. But when you're behind and you're trying to catch up, that's when the gamesmanship comes in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's let's move on, Aram. I want to talk about something that um, I, I was actually talking with uh, Howard Bender from uh, Fantasy Alarm today about this Viking situation. We we're talking about do you trust any of these guys? And I said I don't know how you can trust any of them because this is a Monday night game. We don't know if Dalvin Cook's playing. It certainly doesn't appear that he is. We don't know if Alexander Madison is playing. It certainly doesn't appear that he is playing. And then Mike Boone, who I'm sure not a lot of people have in the championship round, he could be the starting running back at home in a game Minnesota needs for the division or to try to win the division um, against the Green Bay Packers on, on Monday Night Football. You look at these three running backs, there's going to be a ton of people who own Dalvin Cook here. I you know, I don't know what the Madison-Boone ownership is. It, it can't be that great. I mean, Madison, maybe. But, oh, Madison, sure, but, yeah. But, but you look at th- this situation. 
How do you handle it if if you're an owner of one or any of these guys on Monday night this week? Yeah, so if we're let, let's say we're in the FFPC where you'd have two flex spots, it becomes a little bit easier because it, especially if you have another Minnesotan or Packer on your team uh, somewhere. So I would uh, bench that person. Like, you know, if I had anybody that could possibly score points, like if I had Boone and or, or, or Madison, uh, it's a no-brainer then. If Dalvin Cook is, is suited up, you play him. It, it, but again, it all depends on the dynamic and what you're what you're going for. If it, if I, if I had Dalvin Cook on my team right now and I had no other ownership on him, or I realized that everybody else was probably going to have to bench him because they're ahead of me, I might play Dalvin Cook in that spot or wait and and go for zero or or go, or try to get thirty in a really big game. So I, I think it's going to be context driven. The only one that I would consider holding back and playing because I'm I'm pretty sure Madison's not playing based on everything that I've read. Right. Um, and Cook is going to at least start the game uh, based on the situation that they're in. But the, no matter what, I think Boone's going to get, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15 touches if you look at game flow and, and the like. And, and so I would feel most comfortable playing him. But, I mean, I really don't feel comfortable playing bad players because they're only going to score 10, 12 points. I'm looking, you know, in our context, we're looking for people who are going to score 25, 30, and Dalvin Cook's the only one who can do that. So if you're in a situation like the FFPC main event where you're going for a half-million-dollar grand prize and, and you have to chase, you know, a couple dozen or, or what have you, teams in front of you, are you saying Mike Boone is not a good play because he has such a he, – he has that lower ceiling, maybe potentially a high floor but a lower ceiling. He's not the type of guy that's going to win a grand prize? Yeah, he, he, I mean, what's he gonna? He's gonna score anywhere between five, and if he falls into the end zone, fifteen at, on the on the higher end, and that's not you, you can't you can't win doing this, uh, doing what we're looking to do here with a Mike Boone um, falling into the end zone once at best. I have uh, I, I got some skin in the game in week sixteen, but by and large, I've I've already been looking forward to twenty twenty drafts as as I, I normally do this time of year. Um, it, it's always exciting to think about next year, and I'm curious to you, Aram, uh, what you're thinking about sleepers and drafts next season. Is there somebody that that you think, based on maybe a down twenty nineteen, could be a nice little bounce back that high stakes players are going to let slip in drafts? Um, and then based on somebody maybe having a massive season this year uh, who might be overvalued in drafts next year, do you, do you have any thoughts on, on any players that would fit either of those categories? Yeah, so, I mean, going into, as you think about next year, one of the things that I like doing is pulling up the draft boards and then marking players who I believe are going to move way up the draft board um, from the year before even onto the draft board and get into the first six, seven rounds. And then I have to ask myself one question. Is there some pedigree there that allows them to do that when they had no shot? Of, like There was no reason for them to go at that spot um, the year before. For example, the eminently talented Devontae Parker, who's drafted some, uh, between the 18th and 20th round this year in a contract year. He has Fitzmagic throwing him the football. He gets his contract. He's playing like a, 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 a wide receiver one, wide receiver two in, in certain games. He's going to go in the seventh, eighth, ninth round. I'm never taking him in the seventh, eighth, ninth round. He, it's, it, he, he doesn't have the, the pedigree and or the, 
the ability to produce on a game in and game out game out basis overall. And so when when you see guys like that jump up the board uh, for no reason whatsoever other than opportunity, I tend to want to stay away from those folks. And as I look across the board, you know, there, there's a few of those that you, you know are going to jump up. The, Darren Waller, for example, uh, we're, we're, he's going to be a fourth, fifth, sixth-round pick, kind of where O.J. Howard and Evan Ingram and Vance McDonald went this year. I don't believe he's going to be able to produce the same way he did this year. I don't care if everything stays the same over there. I, I just think that he's going to go too high. And, and so I look for those players that are going too high and, and we should stay away from those people because they don't have the necessary skill level or, or situ- it's more of a situation that typically doesn't present itself a second time. Let's um let, let's talk about uh the Saints uh skill players here because Alvin yeah. Kamara was drafted like I don't know like pretty much top four of every draft. Sure. Um, he underperformed as as far as where he went. Conversely, his real life teammate Michael Thomas not only overperformed for where he was taken, but he could be and maybe a lot of people would argue he should be the first receiver off the board. I've even heard talk that he should be the first overall pick next season, too. So Michael Thomas obviously overperformed. You look at where they will probably go in drafts next year. Michael Thomas obviously going to go much higher. Alvin Kamara probably a little bit lower. Do you think that these guys will have their outcomes flip-flop next year and we'll be talking about how Michael Thomas didn't live up to his draft pedigree, Alvin Kamara actually outperformed? How do you evaluate what you've seen from the Saints this year uh, compared to what you think we will see from the 2020 version. Yeah, I, I think that Michael Thomas is definitely the first receiver off the board. That's that's a statement of the obvious. Um, we've been debating whether it, it goes Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, or Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Michael Thomas. And really, after those would be the only three players I would ever consider before taking Michael Thomas uh, based on just the sheer consistent performance that he put on. And I, I, I don't see any reason why that's going to change, whether Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, or Taysom Hill, or whoever's throwing him the ball. Uh, it just looks like he's, he's got another couple of years left in him where he's going to put these numbers up. I am not going to sour on Alvin Kamara. That is a guy that uh, I think just twisted his ankle um, in a bad way and got out of the game flow. Uh, with Drew Brees' injury and just never got in sync with the offense. Uh, I'm hoping he drops to, you know, the 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, wrap, first, second wrap. Uh, I'll take him every time that he's available in any draft because uh, he is a special talent. I just think it's one of those weird seasons where he got hurt, Drew Brees got hurt, and they just really haven't been able to mesh. And that team has been very different this year. Uh, but I think they go back to basics. Again, next year with Alvin Kamara, just keep touching the ball a lot. Aram, you've drafted a, a bunch of teams this year. You've, you've managed a bunch, obviously. Do you have any, when you look back at this season, and I'm sure you already have, do you have any regrets or a big regret that you're like, oh, man, you know, I, I really whiffed on my evaluation of this player and I should have got him where he was going in leagues? Or, man, I was totally overweight on this player. I don't know what I was thinking and he, he kind of sunk my teams down. Do you have any big regrets or, or anything that you would have done differently for maybe this specific main event team or, or just in your teams in general this past season? Well, Bucky, for the first time in forever, I uh, did not go to Vegas this year for the first week of the NFL oh, year. Oh, yeah. 
my that's partners my partners decided that it was more important for me to work and uh, so I had a business trip that whole week and uh, I missed it so I only have I only drafted three main event teams this year uh, online from another country uh, which is just crushing defeat but um, you know based on the the amount of effort I was able to put in on this team uh, I may, maybe it's uh, the right thing to do I don't know um, but so let me start with that. I, I did not, I don't have that many teams. Um, the biggest regret I have on this team as I'm looking at the draft is taking Jordan Howard in the ninth round when guys like Michael Gallup and Cortland Sutton and even Deshaun Jackson, who wouldn't have worked out, by the way, or John Brown. Um, these guys were there, and I, I liked them all. And I, I can't believe that I took Jordan Howard over Cortland Sutton, for example. It's just, and Cortland Sutton, we know, is going to score 50 points into this week. And I would have won 500,000 if I, <laughs> and it's just, it's just killing me right now that, that I didn't do that. So that's my biggest, that is my biggest regret as I look back on the draft. Um, everything else kind of went according to plan, but the, the, the Jordan Howard pick, I, I still don't know what I was thinking. Well, let me let let's unpack that a little bit. With Jordan Howard, did fandom play a role in that? Did did uh, did you have the your your um, your green and silver colored goggles on when when you decided to make Jordan Howard your pick there? No, I, I, I'm anti that situation. Meaning, I'd rather not have Eagles on my team. Ah. Uh, and so I I think that I liked the way that I had Robbie Anderson, Christian Kirk, Sterling Shepard. And then I did think that there was some opportunity for Jordan Howard to, to be a, a, a top end guy. But then, you know, right after week one, I, I just couldn't believe how dumb I was. I mean, Doug Peterson uh, shuttles running backs in like they're going out of style. Um, I, I don't know who I hate more when it comes to running back uh, usages, Bill Belichick or, or Doug Peterson. So I, I am no longer ever even going to consider, and I love Miles Sanders. And I'm, I'm going to say this with a very difficult thing. I cannot draft Miles Sanders next year, even though I'm going to want to every possible time that I see him. But it's just not worth it because he doesn't see enough snaps. And it kills me to say that because I think he's going to be awesome. Well, he could be the type of player too, Aaron, that, that's overdrafted next year given that look at, look at the way he's crushing it down the stretch now. Of, of the fantasy playoffs in the championship round. And you you know that's going to be fresh in players' minds. Maybe he's the type of guy that's overdrafted from the get-go and you never have to worry about it. I mean, he, well, he, could, he could be the type of player, honestly, that, that's going in potentially like the late, the mid to late third round. I mean, who knows? If people are projecting uh, in uh, a second-year breakout from Sanders, maybe you won't even be considering him there because there'll be so many other talented players instead. Yeah, no, I, I, look, he might even be going in the one-two wrap. Uh, oh, can, my goodness. I can't even imagine. I, no, I can't imagine it either. It's just because of usage. But you're going to see the Austin Ecklers of the world even move up a couple rounds. And that's what I'm – That's that, those are the types of players that you just kind of like go, huh, really, should he go that high? Like James White, you know, goes up uh, – was drafted in the fifth, sixth round. And it's just not – you know, these are guys who are great eighth-round picks, ninth-round ninth picks, tenth-round picks but they're not so good fourth or fifth round picks because they, you, they're, they're really just fillers who might get hot here or there, uh, but are never going to be their team's number one, number one option. Or if, even if they are the number one option, it's going to be such a watered down share of, of touches that you, you just can't play them. 
it's it's drafting them at their ceiling uh, that that gets people into problems or people in trouble. And and if you're going to take James White there, Austin Eckler there, Miles Sanders uh, at the one-two turn, it's fine. It's going to work out for you for some weeks, but by and large, it's probably a losing strategy, and it's something that that I certainly won't get behind. That doesn't sound like you will be either. Uh, Aram, one final question before we let you go into that good night and and let you enjoy uh, week 16 coming up. Um, any players or any player that you think a lot of people will be starting in week 16 that, that would be better off on, on high stakes players benches. And then, a, a person that will be on those benches that you think should actually be started because they're due for a big week. Yeah. Um, I got a really bad feeling about the, the Eagles this week. Uh, they, they've been playing so bad and just pulling it out at the end. I think that people are going to be overplaying Miles Sanders, so we're we're going right there. That I I don't like the way that the game flow is going to be. I don't like the way that that game is going to play out for the Eagles. I, I just I, I got a really bad feeling about that. So Carson Wentz and and Miles Sanders are guys that I would stay away from uh, from from that perspective. I just I, I think we're going to tank it and. Uh, so th- those are two two folks that um, I don't really like this week. The other the the guys that I that you gotta just like a little bit, and they, they had bad weeks last week. So I think people are gonna like be afraid to play them. Is staying in that same game, Michael Gallup and I um, and Amari Cooper, both of them. I, I just think are gonna have monster games, and uh, the, those are guys that uh, I think need to be played and. And I, I, I don't know if people are going to think about not doing it based on how bad they looked last week. But uh, then the the Bucks, the there are some pretty crazy games that are going to go on on Saturday, Balky. Uh, that that Bucks Houston game uh, is should be a score fest. Um, but, so I, I anticipate Ronald Jones actually having a pretty big week. I think. The, there have been a lot of articles and press conferences about Bruce Arians talking about how they're going to have to work running backs into the offense with all of the wideouts hurt. I do think that you're going to see Ronald Jones catching passes and having a big week. And then Stills, uh, it, I have a feeling – I'm not a Will Fuller guy because uh, people who pull their hamstrings are, are worthless. But uh, Kenny Stills, I, I think, has a big week along with a, uh, a bounce-back week for those San Diego Chargers and the wideouts like Mike Williams and Hunter Henry, uh, the tight end, uh, having some big weeks along with Phillip Rivers. Yeah, I, Listen, how awesome would it be to see Jameis Winston throw for 400 yards against the playoff contender with his top two receivers being Brashad Perriman and Justin Watson? That's what everybody wants to see. Just insane, <laughs> insane performances like that, and we and we could be due for that uh, come Saturday afternoon. Sat, it's it's a fun weekend uh, this week because we get three games on national TV on Saturday, and then of course our normal Sunday slate on Sunday. It is the way Week 16 should be. That is going to be awesome. I know you are going to be jacked up for it, given uh, um, you know how high you are up in the the FFPC main event. I certainly wish you the best of luck there. Hopefully you enjoy the weekend in in not only that. That league but but in all your leagues and thanks so much for coming on the show this week Aram. this was fun i really appreciate you uh making some time and uh, we'll talk to you again soon dude thanks balky we'll talk to you soon
Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz Radio feed. It helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.